Welcome to our local author series. Mike Cohen joining you, city councillor, council responsible for uh, library and culture in Cote St. Luke. And my guest today is Dr. Haley Frank. She's a senior clinical psychologist with over 50 years of experience in private practice, a former chief psychologist at the McGill University Mental Health Service. Uh, the Cote St. Luke resident also taught graduate students in the clinical psychology program at Concordia. And now she's checked off a big item on her bucket list by writing a book featuring a collection of essays about individual and interpersonal dynamics written in accessible language. It's called Understanding Yourself and Your Relationships, Notes from a Therapist's Desks. Copy is available at the library and we'll tell you more about it. So Dr. Frank, welcome to our program. And uh, you wanna show us the book, first of all, just show yeah. you what the book looks like. It's a beauty. I have my copy too, and I've I've read it, I've shared it with friends already, and it's a real good, easy read. Uh, people really will enjoy it. Uh, so tell us for starters, why did you decide to write a book? Tell us. Okay, well, the main reason was I found myself being very repetitious with my clients, my friends, my colleagues about certain patterns. And I thought if these insights were so valuable, perhaps I could share them with readers as well. So clinical uh, therapy is really based on pattern recognition. And I wanted to form sort of a compilation of useful human struggles that you, the reader, might recognize as being part of their own life, part of their own lives, and would help readers identify solvable problems. And it was my goal that by presenting uh, examples, both from my clinical practice and from my own life, that to provide valuable insights into common dynamics and interpersonal relationships. Okay, so tell us uh, what is the focus of this book and then who is it aimed at? Okay, well, the focus is, it's about, as the title says, understanding yourself and your relationships. The book is divided into two sections. One is about individual dynamics, and the other is about interpersonal relationships. Now, of course, the two are linked, but I try to just sort of artificially divide them. So some of the essays, it's a collection of essays written in accessible language, it's not a scholarly book, though I do draw on, um, you know, some of uh, on theoretical things and I do reference them, but it's basically based on my own reflections that I've gained over the years. I've been lucky enough to interact with a wide variety of colleagues, clients, friends, family, bridge partners, and I... Uh, therefore came up with certain essays. Now the essays are, as I said, they're not linked to each other. They're, some of them are about individual dynamics. Some the ones that would be relevant to everybody are about the interpersonal dynamics. And the book is aimed at one, any reader who likes the idea of understanding themselves and their relationships. Uh, it is, also aimed, it's the kind of book that I would have really appreciated, you know, appreciate having when I was first learning to do therapy. Anybody 
that is in the field would appreciate sort of the everyday uh, description of dynamics and relationships. Uh, I could never find a book like that. I, the books I read when I was learning to do therapy were very jargony. And this is aimed at anybody in the field who is one, learning to do therapy, but I think also people, I do a dynamic kind of therapy, but I think anybody who does different kinds of therapy would enjoy reading about the, the, uh, these topics from a dynamic perspective. So other therapists, for example, who do CBT or other kinds of therapy would also appreciate it. And um, the third group it could be aimed at would be anybody who is themselves in therapy, thinking of undertaking therapy, or who's thinking they're in the wrong therapy and would like to maybe make a change. I think you 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 explained it very well. And you know, when I read the book after each uh, essay, if you will, or each couple of pages, and they're short chapters, I said, hey, this would make a great television series because <laughs> I, I, you know, some of them, some of those things that the, the anecdotes, the real life stories, even about your own life, I'd say, wow, I'd love to see that acted out in TV. I don't know who it's who would play Dr. <laughs> Haley Frank. Uh, we'll have to see who who would definitely be not me. I think Catherine Zeta Jones would uh, would uh, <laughs> would uh, would play uh, would play you. But uh, but I, I think that um, uh, yeah. So it, it's great. So tell me, what has the feedback been? To this book feedback has been incredibly positive both the amazon review the, by the way once i'm on this topic the book is available on amazon it's at the library it's also available in montreal at bibliophile bookstore on queen mary and it's a i left a few copies with my hairdresser coiffeur azur in the carry square and they did a great job with your hair by the way dr frank yeah okay anyhow the feedback uh has been very positive, not only on Amazon, but I've had uh, former students saying, my God, this is like taking another course from you in supervision. Uh, I've had uh, colleagues calling me and telling me this is terrific, it's all in one place. But the feedback I was most touched by was from everyday people, for example, I left a copy at the hairdresser and my manicurist came up to me and she said to me, I never read anything. My first language is not English. However, I read your book from cover to cover and you've explained everything about my relationship with my sister. So it's the kind of book that really would be of interest to anybody who wants to understand things and even people who don't normally read these kinds of books. Well, I can tell you as, you know, someone who's been writing since I'm 16 and now I'm 59, uh, there's nothing better than getting positive feedback from people who've read your work and appreciate yeah. it. Is, is it not? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. It felt very good. So you are upfront um, and personal, um, you know, about about issues in your own life in the book. So you 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 kind of uh, disclose parts of your life from the past. Yes. So. The reason I did that, a few people asked me about it. I was sort of not sure whether to do it or not. But then I thought, you know, the problem is people tend to think of psychologists as experts and as, at quote unquote, and as if they themselves are paragons of human nature. And the reality is they're not. 
the rea reality is people in this profession have their own life challenges, have their own painful emotions, have had their own interpersonal conflicts. And a lot of what I write about was based on my understanding, certainly from my clients and theory from books, but also from my friends, families, bridge partners, as well as my own experiences. And I thought that if I was going to write a book about personal conflicts and interpersonal relationships, I should be somewhat transparent about both my personal self as well as my professional self. So that's roughly it. And and you were. I mean, I I, I, I also thought... oh sorry. I also felt it would give comfort to people to recognize that psychologists, like anybody else, are just human beings and have to struggle with the same life challenges as anybody else. Yes, exactly. And I and I found it very interesting. You know, you know, reading your own personal story as well, and I think I think readers will as well. So maybe you want to elaborate on some of the themes that are in this book. Okay, well, I mean, it's divided into two sections. Uh, I can tell you, I'll, I'll um, say what some of the essays are about, and then I'll elaborate maybe on one essay. Would that work? Sure. Okay, so the, the ones about individual dynamics, there's an essay on repetitive patterns, why we keep making the same mistakes over and over again. There's an essay on envy. There's an essay on holding a grudge. There's an essay on why we worry. There's an essay on how we manage to sabotage our successes. There's an essay on commitment phobics, phobias, why some people are so commitment phobic. That's among others. I'm not quoting all of them. Right. Then within the relationship dynamics, there's an essay on toxic relationships, how to recognize them an essay on whether or not it's a value to sever ties with families, you know, when you're in a toxic relationship. There's an essay on abuse. There's an essay on managing conflict, optimal ways of communication. There's an essay on the importance of a common value system to maintain a loving relationship, uh, among others. Okay, that's that that covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? Yeah, there's others as well, but I just named some of the main ones. Yeah. So I thought perhaps you'd want me to discuss one of them or Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I think what I will do is discuss the essay on the importance of a common value system. Now, what I have noticed personally is that and this is my personal opinion, it's not taken from theory, it's from what I've observed over the years among my friends, family, and clients, that the relationships that last have three ingredients. This is what's in the essay. One, of course, is friendship. Two is some kind of chemistry. But a third one, which we tend to underrate or not even notice, is a common worldview or common value system. Often people think that what is important is common interests. And a relationship that's based on common interests, but not on a common value system, in my experience, is doomed to failure. Because, now let me explain what I mean by a common value system. 
That is, for example, the way we look at the world, what's important in terms of time, money, our children, family values, education. If you don't have a common value system, you end up arguing about almost anything. Uh, if your worldview is different within a your relationship. If you do have a common value system, you still end up arguing. <laughs> but you, but the, it, it, let's say 90% of things you agree on and maybe 10% are things that you still have to bicker about. And those 10%, you sort of learn how to handle. You either take turns, you meet halfway in the middle, you agree to disagree. Often it's the person that cares the most about thing that gets their way. The one that's most intense gets their way. But at least you're not arguing about everything. However, I've seen relationships that started off with great friendship, great chemistry, common interests, but they saw the world completely differently. And the relationship fell apart because they were fighting about anything and everything, nonstop bickering. And the problem becomes even more acute when uh, one member of the couple asks the other one to compromise or adapt to something that is not within the core value system. I'll give you an example that was in my book. That was one of the best examples where um, a husband was trying to, wanted to visit his, and include in their lives, his disabled brother. And his wife really couldn't stand the brother and insisted on him not seeing the brother. And this was, of course, in terms of his value system and loyalty to his family, which actually had a Holocaust background, was totally unacceptable. So they fought and they fought about it. And he did not end up leaving the relationship because they were young children. Instead, he saw the brother behind his wife's back. But the point is the relationship was irrevocably ruined. There was chronic resentment of the fact that she was asking him to do something that she couldn't do. I've also seen this a bit in during COVID times where I mean, even in my own relationship, my husband and I don't entirely agree about how safe to be in COVID. And we've argued about whether to see friends and family and what have you. And that's also an issue with values because if you're family oriented, maybe your family, you're prepared to take the risks. But if you're risk aversive, maybe you're not. So that's an example of what I mean by a common value system. Now, as far as common interests go, especially at my age, it's nice if you have common interests because you're spending a lot of time together. However, uh, you can always uh, uh, engage in your common interests with other people. So for example, I'm an addicted bridge player. My husband used to be, he lost all interest in the game, but it doesn't matter. I have a million bridge partners hmm. and uh, it makes absolutely no difference to me if he shares that interest. But if he didn't share my worldview, that would make a huge difference. Uh, that, that's a great story. And, and I'm glad you touched upon COVID. Uh, we're going to wrap up with one last question. And that is, you've been seeing your patients via Zoom uh, since the pandemic. Uh, how has that gone? 
It's gone very well, relatively. I've seen the patients. Um, I've either done it by, I've given them choices by Zoom, FaceTime, uh, and uh, by the phone. I've been doing phone sessions for a long time anyhow, way before COVID, because I had clients that moved away from Montreal, did fairly well, but every once in a while wanted to check in with me. So I'm used to doing phone sessions. Initially, when COVID hit, some of the newer clients said, no, if it's not in person, I'm not seeing you. So that was that. And then they called back a couple of months yeah. later when it became apparent that nobody was seeing anybody in person. Right. And in fact, it's worth uh, fairly well. Uh, what I have noticed during COVID was the fact that, you know, unfortunately, whatever people's issues or dynamics were, they became accentuated during COVID. Uh and I had some, you know, I've noticed, I don't know whether you want me to discuss this or we've run out of time as to certain tips as to how to handle it. Better. Well, go ahead. That could be our, our, our goodbye theme. So go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So what I noticed that it was extremely important to maintain connections to friends and family. Uh, some of my clients were saying things, God, I haven't talked to anybody that's really important to me in ages. And I made very concrete suggestions, even though I'm a dynamic therapist, this is more along CBT lines. I uh, suggested things like schedule phone appointments with your friends. You know, make sure there's a time with people that really understand you and know you. It'll be very replenishing. And a, a few of the clients really ended up doing that. And they said it made all the difference. So that was one thing I noticed that was useful. The other thing I noticed for myself, and therefore I advised other people, was to build something rewarding into your day, something that you look forward to. For me, it's bridge. I schedule online bridge games amidst other things that I'm doing. But I've advised clients to schedule something rewarding, whether it's cooking, eating, uh, going for a walk, exercise, something you look forward to. It's very important to build that into your day rather than have one day be like Groundhog Day and just blend into the next. The third thing that I found personally useful was to structure my day, know what time I was doing what. Now, not everybody is as structured as I am. And the last thing which I noticed was extremely important was to set up your physical environment in a way that you're comfortable. I noticed certain people who really didn't like their houses were running out and yet they couldn't run out during COVID. Whereas if you felt comfortable in your place, it had a comforting feeling, at least you were okay about staying home. Also setting up your space practically so it met your needs, for example, if you're going to work from home, you need a practical workspace that's pleasant. I had one client telling me she's so depressed because she's in a very tiny apartment with her husband, and she's literally working out of their storage closet. And that was, of course, a real downer. Uh, what I did notice in terms of clients' problems is it was interesting. It depended more whether you were an extrovert or an introvert. Some introverts told me, cheerfully. I, this is the best year of my life. I didn't have to see anybody. Mm -hmm. Extroverts really suffered because they really need people, which is why they had to work out how they were going to see people. Also, for people that have a little bit of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, they became exaggerated, obviously, in COVID. And some people have told me 
they're downright agoraphobic, meaning they really don't feel like leaving their house anymore because they're so used to staying home. Uh, very interesting anecdotes. So uh, to uh, to wrap it up, uh, just remind everyone again, where can they get a copy of the book? Besides okay. uh, getting on the reserve list, I think after this uh, session we did, there's going to be a big uh, waiting list for the book at the, uh, the uh, Cote St. Luke Public Library. Well, it's available at Amazon.ca, Amazon.com, um, in both Kindle and paperback formats. It's not expensive. It's, I left copies at my hairdresser, Coiffeur Azure, at the Cary Square, uh, that's on the second floor, and Biblio, Bibliophile Bookstore, which is a delightful bookstore on Queen Mary, is also uh, offering copies. All right, terrific. So you're offering the special uh, hairdo and book, uh, book deal <laughs> right in one spot. That's yes. terrific. Yes. And then you can go to Winners afterwards and, and get a wardrobe. So yeah, terrific. I guess so. <laughs> well, Dr. Frank, thanks for joining us. It's a, it's a great book. Congratulations. And we're very proud to promote the work of our Cote St. Luke authors, which you're now among them. All the best. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. It's great having had Dr. Haley Frank as our guest today.